Have you ever heard a ringing in your ears? Like one minute everything is quiet and the next there's an annoying tone? No matter what you do, whether you try to focus on it or ignore it, it just gets worse? You know how if you turn to the person next to you and say, do you hear that? They're always like, hear what? It's definitely just you. But what if that person next to you turned to you at the same moment and said, do you hear that? What if the ringing wasn't just in your head? What if millions of other people were plagued by the same damn ringing? And what if no one could figure out what the hell it was? Welcome to Strange and Unexplained with me, Daisy Egan. I'm a writer and an actor who has enough to worry about without also having an unidentifiable hum torment me to the point where there is no choice but to run screaming into the hills. This week, no matter what we do, we won't be able to shake that weird sound. I'll take you to a handful of towns all over the world where people turned to their neighbors and said, do you hear that? Strangers, I have to start out by saying how excited I am to finally be telling this story. We here at Strange and Unexplained have been trying to figure this one out for a while, and I'm excited to say I think we finally cracked the code. It's like a train yard or a jet on the tarmac in the distance. It's like you can hear a car coming but it never gets there. I'm literally crying at night. Daft as it sounds. It seems to get louder and louder and louder. Once you've heard it, you can't unhear it. Whenever I wake up, it is there, and it is unbelievably loud. It's a kind of torture. When nobody else can hear it. Sometimes you just want to scream. You think you're going nuts, and it just wears you down. It has a rhythm to it. It goes up and down. low hum. It sounds almost like a diesel car idling in the Permeating the entire house. And you want to go and ask somebody to switch the engine off. You get the feeling your head is going to explode. And you can't. There was one night when I felt like my head had been in a spin dryer all night. Like my brain had been vibrating in my skull. These were just a sampling of hundreds of reports collected between 2001 to this year from people all over the UK and the United States about a niggling hum that dogged them. The low-frequency sound can only be heard by about 2 to 10% of a given area. It's sometimes accompanied by a vibrating feeling and generally gets worse indoors at night. Hummers, as the people plagued by the sound were called in a few media pieces in the 90s, reported having to flee as far as 45 miles away to escape it. And as maddening as the sound itself is, even more frustrating is that no one can figure out where it's coming from. To this day, civilians, engineers, scientists, and geologists alike have not been able to figure out what the sound is or where it's coming from. According to a 2004 piece by geologist David Deming in the Journal of Scientific Exploration in 2004, Hummers, and warning, strangers, I'm going to be saying Hummer a lot in this episode, Hummers tend to report similar experiences. At first, they search for the source of the noise inside their homes. Internal sources are usually eliminated by shutting off all electrical power to the home. The next phase is to conduct searches for the source of the sound by walking or driving through neighborhoods late at night or early in the morning. These searches are always in vain. The source of the hum is never found. And perhaps you're thinking, what's the big deal? It's a little ringing. Get over it. 
If so, A, you've clearly never heard a ringing or phantom tone in your ears. It is maddening. And B, if the sound isn't annoying enough, many people report pretty gnarly physical symptoms as well. Deming continued, There are a variety of physical symptoms associated with the hum. These include pain in the ears, headaches, discomfort, trouble sleeping, balance problems and anxiety, chronic stress, fatigue, headaches, nausea and muscle pain, headaches, nosebleeds and dizziness, insomnia, headaches, a sensation of pressure in the head and nausea, sickness and nosebleeds, nausea, ringing in the ears, chronic joint pain, dizziness, depression and diarrhea. And also headaches and nausea and headaches. Even worse, at least one person was so plagued by the sound they told a British newspaper. Last year, it almost drove me to suicide. It completely drains energy, causing stress and loss of sleep. I have been on tranquilizers and have lost count of the number of nights I have spent holding my head in my hands, crying and crying. I mean, same, friend. Here, I thought these were just the conditions of life. Maybe I've been unconsciously hearing the hum all this time. I once heard a great piece on This American Life about tones and the effect they can have on people. So if the fluorescent lights in your cubicle at work or your fridge or computer are humming, even if you can't consciously hear it, there's actual research out there about how certain notes elicit certain emotions in the human brain, including feelings of euphoria and despair. So sure, you probably legitimately hate your job, but it could also be that shitty fluorescent light above you that's making you feel insane. Wild. But the elusive hum isn't just a sound. People have claimed the hum made their walls and windows rattle in their frames. One man claimed that the dead leaves in his backyard, quote, dance on the ground, cracking and popping like butter in a skillet, end quote. And I'm not going to comment that butter should definitely not pop and crack in a skillet, and he either needs to A, turn the heat under his pan way down, and or B, make sure his pan is nice and dry before adding butter kitchen safety, folks. The author of the piece for the Journal of Scientific Exploration, David Deming, included this personal anecdote. In Norman, Oklahoma, I was awakened late one night by a light bulb that had exploded for no apparent reason. At other times, smoke detectors in different parts of my house have simultaneously emitted short, warbling tones, although no smoke was present. Isn't it refreshing to have a phenomenon like this not automatically be attributed to a poltergeist? But perhaps the fact that it's generally agreed that this isn't a supernatural phenomenon makes it even more mind-boggling that no one has officially been able to verifiably catch the hum on recording. If there is some kind of rational explanation for this thing, why can't anyone record it? So what the hell is this thing? Maybe, in order to answer that question, we should rewind a bit and look at the very first reports of this hum way back in the 1970s. The first verified report in the media about this weird phenomenon came in the form of a letter published in the journal The New Scientist in 1970 that complained about a hum that could only be heard indoors. 
By 1973, that same publication published a piece that included a claim that one woman had threatened to kill herself because of the incessant sound. But when authorities sent an expert out to verify matters, that expert couldn't hear anything, which I'm sure made the woman feel terrific. But when a newspaper reported on it, more than 50 readers reached out to say they were similarly plagued. And by 1977, the British tabloid The Sunday Mirror published a piece called Have You Heard the Hum?, to which upwards of 800 people responded saying they had. The majority of these people lived in and around Bristol, but people from Cheshire, Cornwall, Gloucestershire, London, Shropshire, Suffolk, and Wiltshire, just in that part of the world alone, have complained over the decades of the same annoying sound. A 2009 piece from the BBC claimed that experts determined the hum came from traffic and local factories, which would make sense. Anyone who's ever read Charles Dickens knows that factories are the bane of Englanders' existence. Factories and Ebenezer Scrooge, of course. Despite experts supposedly determining the source of the hum, though, it seems no one has done anything to address it. A piece in the Bristol Post from October of 2021 quotes a local mother who said she's been to hell and back trying to rid herself of the persistent annoyance. It has affected her work and cost her sleep, and her 13-year-old daughter wrote to Boris Johnson begging him for help. He hasn't responded, probably because he was too busy throwing lavish parties during the pandemic lockdown. But it isn't just our friends across the pond who are battling this seemingly phantom hum. In 1992, a woman named Catania Saltzman in Taos, New Mexico, wrote a letter to the local paper complaining of a persistent, annoying hum she and her husband were vexed by. And the response was overwhelming enough that the Washington Post dispatched a reporter to Taos to investigate the claims. The resulting article, titled Taos Hum Disturbs Artistic Colonies' Good Vibrations, quoted several locals who were being driven crazy by the constant sound, which they described as, quote, a tractor running off in the distance, quote, power lines throbbing with a whiny quality, and, quote, a low grinding kind of staticky hissing and a high ringing sound, end quote. A musician and music teacher who once visited the area described it this way. It was a pretty dramatic first moment. I had spent a week here doing a personal retreat, just being very quiet. I practice yoga and I do meditation, just about four or five days of that disciplined work. I fell asleep and woke up about four o'clock in the morning with this very vivid nightmare in which a big car, a GTO like people used to have all souped up, was idling right outside my bedroom window. It was very Stephen King-ish. I woke up very quickly from this awful, menacing dream, and I could still hear the idling of the car. It was like everybody's worst nightmare to wake up from a dream and have it still continue. I went running around the house, checking, but nothing was on. I cut off all the circuit breakers in the house, and I could still hear it. Then it occurred to me. This was the sound everybody was talking about. Taos locals Saltzman and her husband had organized a letter-writing campaign to their representatives, and it actually worked, to a degree. 
Even though he himself couldn't hear the hum, their local representative, Bill Richardson, took pity on what he called his more colorful constituents and backed an initiative to send investigators from the University of New Mexico, the Sandia and Los Alamos National Laboratories, and the Phillips Laboratory of the U.S. Air Force to try to identify the sound. They failed. Given the location, that the Southwest United States is a known testing ground for super-secret government shit, some locals believed the sound was coming from, well, super-secret government shit involving testing communications equipment. Representative Richardson didn't dismiss this idea outright and agreed that it was possible the sound was the result of Defense Department experiments in the area. But the Defense Department and the Air Force both denied running any kind of tests that would result in the hum. And in the U.S., the hum isn't just happening in places known for super-secret government shit. In the late 90s, in the sleepy town of Kokomo, Indiana, just like in Bristol and Taos, a few locals started reporting hearing a sound like the buzz of a freeway, even though there wasn't a freeway for miles. Or like a train idling, or again, improbably, butter crackling in a pan. Like the afflicted in Bristol, Kokomo Hummers, according to a 2002 article in the New York Times, attributed some health problems to the hum as well, like headaches, nausea, diarrhea, fatigue, and joint pain. One resident said when she complained about the sound, she was basically accused of being crazy. Apparently, adult people teased her for it and asked her if she was also seeing aliens. Another resident said cryptically, quote, some people have been very cruel, end quote, because people are great. One woman was like, fuck this shit and moved an hour and a half north to South Bend. The city appropriated a whopping $100,000 to investigate the source of the hum. The findings, just like in Taos, were pretty inconclusive. One expert could only come up with this, quote, They are just picking up something that others can't, end quote. Gee, thanks, Bob. Enjoy your tax-funded paycheck. Some suspected the industrial fans from the local Chrysler plant as a source, but apparently, even after the fans were fixed, the hum remained. If you've noticed a pattern, congratulations, you are a great listener. Or at the very least, your hearing isn't being obstructed by an obscure hum of dubious origin. In each case, one intrepid hummer wrote into a local newspaper to be like, WTF, people, which was followed by dozens of other locals coming forward to be like, yeah, W the actual F, followed by investigations that resulted, for the most part, in shrugged shoulders and everyone back to square one. Mostly, hummers are dismissed as crazy or delusional. According to a February 2022 piece for the Financial Times, Jonathan Hazel, the head of research at the National Institute for Deaf People, told The Independent in 1994, quote, it's rubbish. Hummers are a group of people who cannot accept that they have tinnitus, end quote. Maybe so, but I've never heard of tinnitus rattling windows or making butter crackle in a pan. Have you? The hum began to show up in pop culture, first in 1998 in an episode of The X-Files in which a pre-Breaking Bad Brian Cranston kidnaps FBI agent Mulder and forces him to drive as fast as he can in order to silence the ringing in his ears that caused his wife's head to explode. And in 2009, on his reality TV show Conspiracy Theory... 
Former wrestler turned Minnesota governor turned reality TV host Jesse the Body Ventura suggested the hum was part of a government mind control experiment, which doesn't make too much sense when you consider that the majority of hummers are middle-aged to elderly women. Like, what's the government doing, training a legion of people who need to go take their morning constitutional around the mall, have a nap, and get to Denny's in time for the 3 p.m. dinner special? No offense to middle-aged and elderly women. Some of my best friends are middle-aged and elderly women. What am I saying? I am a middle-aged woman. I need a nap. It turns out there have been a couple of cases of source identification in various hums around the world. According to a 2016 piece for the New Republic magazine, in the 1980s, the hum was reported in Sausalito, California, and was found to be coming from horny fish. John McCosker, director of the Steinhardt Aquarium, said the sound was likely the mating call of a singing toadfish called the Plainfin Midshipman. Do you think the fish heard what humans were calling it and were like, Plainfin Midshipman? It couldn't be Fancy Fin Captain? Fuck you, stick leg middle management person. The male plane fin burrows into the sand and then emits a low tone to attract a mate. It drives the female plane fins and apparently about 2 to 10% of the local human population crazy. In 2014, up in Windsor, Canada, the Canadian government determined the source of their hum was factories in Detroit. The findings weren't conclusive, probably because the people of Detroit were like, oh, sure, blame the U.S., it's never Canada's fault. But the main factory in question closed in 2020, and wouldn't you know, the people of Windsor stopped hearing the hum. But for the most part, the source for most hums, wherever they are in the world, has remained elusive, which has only fueled our collective instinct to solve the mystery. In fact, in 2004, one man set out to find, once and for all, just what was the hum heard round the world. In 2004, geologist David Deming, who I mentioned earlier and who was himself a hummer, decided once and for all to get to the bottom of this hummy Michigas. Deming published one of the only serious academic papers about the hum, going over the various theories based on available research. One of the first theories he discussed was mass hysteria or delusion. He ruled that out because the reported sufferers hadn't gained anything from hearing the hum, but rather in some cases suffered real-life consequences, including ostracization from their communities, being labeled nuts, or like in the case of the woman who moved out of Kokomo, losing their dream home. TBH, and I've said this before, I don't really understand the concept of mass hysteria, but I will say it's especially confusing to me because I didn't know mass hysteria usually brought positive consequences to those who purport to experience whatever the mass hysteria thing is. Like with the Mothman, those people were accused of being victims of mass hysteria, but what did they stand to gain by saying they saw a giant humanoid moth creature with glowing eyes patrolling their skies, other than maybe getting some tinfoil hats as presents for Christmas? As for Jonathan Hazel's determination that hummers are just people who refuse to accept that they have tinnitus, Deming points out that tinnitus is generally a high-pitched ring, whereas hummers hear a low-frequency sound. Also, tinnitus is not usually associated with other physical symptoms like headaches, nausea, and fatigue. 
Not only that, but tinnitus isn't location-specific. Hummers report only hearing the hum in certain places, inside their homes or cars, etc. I don't know about you, but I've never heard of someone fleeing their dream home because of tinnitus. Some have attributed the hum to cell phone tower transmissions, but Deming was quick to be like, cell phone towers in the 1970s? Okay, Bob. Not just that, but if it were from cell towers, there would be far more reports from Hummers in highly populated urban areas. Taos had the minuscule population at the time of 4,700 people, and Kokomo's population was 46,113, which sounded like a lot of people to me until I googled the population of my hometown, Brooklyn, New York, and discovered it was well over 2 million people at that time. Numbers are hard. Another possible explanation for the source of the hum that Deming explored was a government experiment known as the High Frequency Active Auroral Research Program, or HARP, because I guess HFARP was too goofy sounding? Leading one particularly clever hummer to dub himself Harpooned. The HARP program, which was officially underway by 1994, used radio waves to study outer space and test communication techniques. Of course, tinfoil hatters believed the program was actually used in government mind control experiments and or to control the weather. And let me just say, if the government can control the weather, I have notes. Not sure if you guys have noticed, but we're in pretty bad shape everywhere. Get on it, please. The hole in this theory is that the 1960s hum in Bristol predates the HARP program. Also, this theory doesn't account for all the towns in the path of the HARP radio waves who don't report a hum. A more plausible theory, as far as Deming was concerned, was a Navy project called Take Charge and Move Out, or TACAMO, which, despite the very ominous-sounding name, was just a project using low-frequency radio waves to communicate with submarines. The waves used in the Takamo project can cover the whole planet and can penetrate up to an inch of solid aluminum. Deming, in fact, found that the area with the most concentration of reports of the hum was the United Kingdom, which helped bolster this theory since the North Atlantic was a popular U.S. naval testing area, especially during the Cold War. Aside from Taos and Kokomo, along with a few other outliers, most hum reports come from coastal towns. What's particularly strange is that towns right next to the afflicted coastal towns tend to have no hum issues. Like in the Massachusetts coastal town of Nahant, where residents once complained of the hum, while only eight miles away, Bostonians heard nothing but the sound of themselves improbably still cheering on Tom Brady while eating clam chowder and having a coffee from Dunks. It's worth noting that a lot of the towns that have reported a hum have a history of mining. But what do I know? No one else seems to think that's something worth looking into. The Takamo theory offers a possible explanation as to why the decidedly landlocked towns of Taos and Kokomo might have been experiencing something normally reserved for seaside towns. It turns out, right around the time people in those towns started hearing the hum, the Takamo program upgraded the aircraft from the EC-130 to the E-64, which sounds to me just like a jumble of letters and numbers, but according to Deming, might explain why the source of the hum is so elusive. If it's on a moving aircraft, it makes sense it's hard to pinpoint. 
turns out it's a known fact of science that microwaves used in all kinds of communication stuff can physically affect the soft tissue inside the inner ear. As someone whose inner ears are basically scrambled eggs because of chronic ear infections as a kid with hippie parents who were like, here's some expired eardrops, I can personally attest that out of nowhere, the pressure and ambient noise in my ears will suddenly change, followed by a ringing. It doesn't happen to anyone else around me. Lucky for me, the ringing goes away after 10 or 20 minutes. Honestly, I think I would lose all my bananas if it didn't. Deming even proposed a totally doable experiment to test the Takamo theory that would involve human-sized boxes of different materials. As Deming explained it, Each box would appear identical, but the inner composition of each box would be different. The control box might have an inner layer of air. The second box would be lined with concrete to attenuate acoustic signals. The third box would contain a conductor thick enough to significantly diminish the amplitude of most electromagnetic radiation. The boxes could be transported to a location such as Kokomo and hearers asked how the perceived sound of the hum changes inside each enclosure. Now, strangers, I feel compelled to tell you that while Deming seemed to be one of the only people who took the hum seriously and tried to actually do something about it, it turns out that he is problematic. I was trying to figure out if he was still alive to introduce this next section, which led me to his Wikipedia page, which led me to some seriously troubling shit, including this nugget. In response to an article written for University of Oklahoma student paper, The Oklahoma Daily, in which the student reporter wrote, quote, Easy access to a handgun allows everyone in this country to quickly and easily kill as many random people as they want, end quote. Deming wrote in a rebuttal to the student-written article, quote, that Clutter's easy access to a vagina enables her to quickly and easily have sex with as many random people as she wants. Her possession of an unregistered vagina also equips her to work as a prostitute and spread venereal disease. Let's hope Clutter is as responsible with her equipment as most gun owners are with theirs. End quote. He also believes that the syphilis contracted by gay people is somehow different and worse than the syphilis contracted by straight people. I feel sick. So let's all rejoice that we get to leave him behind now and move on. Holy cow. In 2012, high school physics, biology, and math teacher and University of British Columbia lecturer and Hummer, Dr. Glenn McPherson, decided to do something about the lack of serious research into the hum. Any website that mentioned the hum up until that point seemed to end as a breeding ground for crackpot conspiracy theorists. McPherson not only wanted to change that, but he also set out to create an interactive map of all the locations around the world where the hum has been reported. McPherson built a box similar to the one Deming proposed in his paper, but found that rather than getting relief from the sound once inside the box, the hum only got louder. McPherson eventually concluded that possibly the hum was not coming from some external source, but rather was the result of a neurological disorder. According to a piece from 2016 on the website theconversation.com, 
Theories that Hummers' brains or ears are wired differently make sense, quote, from an evolutionary perspective, there may be survival value in having members of a population highly sensitive to some types of vibrations. When it comes to the hum, some humans may have a similar physiological mechanism in place, end quote. That article also suggested the biological disorder is, quote, perhaps rooted in a particular anatomical variation, genetic predisposition, or the result of toxicity and medication, end quote. Of course, that doesn't explain why people near the coast are more likely to hear it and that only 2 to 10 percent of people can hear it. McPherson's map has allowed another hummer to come up with his own theory, not about where or what the hum is, but the effect the hum has on people. According to a 2016 piece for The New Republic, hummer and mechanical engineer Stephen Colhase believes, quote, that most, if not all, mass shootings of the past few decades can be traced to natural gas pipelines emitting low-frequency radiation, end quote. Apparently, the civilian contractor, whose name I won't mention because fuck this guy, who entered a Navy yard in September 2013 and killed 12 people, left a note claiming he'd been attacked for months by ultra-low-frequency radio waves that drove him to commit mass murder. Using McPherson's map, Cole Hayes has linked the hum with shootings in Denver, Albuquerque, Texas, California, and Sandy Hook. Apparently, Colhays believes all mass shootings are the result of the hum. Funny, I could have sworn they were the result of an overly powerful gun lobby and piss-poor laws around gun regulation. Theories such as this cockamamie one could be why more serious researchers generally stay away from the hum. Once something has been co-opted by wackos, most rational-minded people aren't interested in getting the stink on them, which... I suppose makes me not rational-minded because here I am, rolling around in the stink, luxuriating in it. Take a good whiff, folks. So where does that leave the millions of mostly middle-aged to elderly women, and to a lesser extent, men, walking around with an incessant hum rattling around inside their heads? If you were one of them, you'd probably be less concerned with where it was coming from, unless you're a prepper or something and you think it's a portent of toxic poisoning or whatever, in which case, I don't know what to tell you other than it's time to move, buddy. And more interested in how to live with the godforsaken sound. It turns out that one of the worst things you can do to a Hummer is deny their experience. Apparently, dismissing a Hummer's claims can make the hum even worse. According to a 2003 report by Dr. Jeff Leventhal, published by the UK's Department of Environment, Food, and Rural Affairs, which reviewed all the available published research into the hum. Unsympathetic handling of the complaint leads to a buildup of stress, which exacerbates the problems. Hum sufferers may have a low tolerance level and be prone to negative reactions. The knowledge that complaints are being taken seriously by the authorities helps to reduce personal tensions by easing the additional stresses consequent upon not being believed. Dr. David Baguley, head of audiology at Attenbrook's Hospital in Cambridge, explained it this way, quote, It becomes a vicious cycle. The more people focus on the noise, the more anxious and fearful they get. The more the body responds by amplifying the sound, and that causes even more upset and distress. 
Ironically, focusing on the sound might be the very thing that rids people of it. In a 2021 piece from KALW, reporter Nicholas Harder explained that one can habituate themselves to the sound by mixing or masking it with another. Apparently, and don't ask me how, that can retrain your brain to tune both sounds out. I don't know why the brain will tune out two tones before it tunes out one. Then again, in the immortal words of Aaron Neville and Linda Ronstadt, I don't know much. Another method is mindfulness, in which you notice your thoughts around the sound and over time train your brain to have a different emotional response to the sound, which can make it fainter. This is a tried and true approach to anxiety. A thought plays over and over in your head. Ignoring it only makes it louder. So you approach it head on and change your thinking around it until eventually it gets quieter. So, I guess all the wisdom is telling us not to ignore a problem if we want it to go away. Makes sense, right? Facing our fears and troubles can enable us to get leverage over them and resolve them. But what if the people around us won't acknowledge the problem? How can we face and solve something everyone else is telling us isn't real? If I knew the answer to that, you bet I'd be on my way toward eradicating many systems of oppression beyond this annoying sound. But, as things stand, denial is not just a river in Egypt, and there is always a whole segment of people who are like, nothing to see here, folks. Or in this case, nothing to hear here. Hear, hear. Next time on Strange and Unexplained, we'll revisit the topic of people who survive traumatic brain injuries. But this time, instead of finding themselves with miraculous talents, the three men we visit might as well have asked, dude, where's my personality? We have a lot of fascinating and bizarre stories to share with you this season, but we want to hear your episode suggestions as well. If you have an idea for something we should cover, whether it's a well-known case or something that happened in your town that the world hasn't heard about yet, go to our website, strangeandunexplainedpod.com, and fill out the contact form. Strange and Unexplained is a production of the Obsessed Network and is produced by Becca Gregorio and Natalie Grillo. This episode was written by me, Daisy Egan, edited by Eve Kerrigan, and researched by Jess McKillop. Our audio editor and mixer is Jennifer Swatek, and our voice actors for this episode were Ryan Garcia, Luther Creek, Lauren Hooper, Raymond J. Lee, and Andrea Jones-Sojola. Our social channels are run and managed by Amy Sapp. A complete list of our sources for each episode is available on our website. If you like our show, help us out by rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter. We are at SNUpod. Join us Mondays at 3 for a live Q&A on Instagram. And check out the Strange and Unexplained with Daisy Egan Facebook group to join in the conversation. 